Hello, I'm Kirsten O'Brien. Welcome to the first 16 Summers podcast. It's a podcast that really only wants the answer to one simple question. If you had to choose between the childhood that you had or the one you're giving to your children, which would you pick? Being an old dad has given me a greater appreciation of how how precious this time right now is. I can definitely see that what I did was try to create for my children the kind of fantasy childhood that I wanted. It was an improvement, like I said, that's what you want to be of his father. So I knew his, his shortcomings weren't his fault. You know, there was, there was what he's learned from his father and he loved us. Right, I feel at this point you should start playing like the Hovis music in the background because... Right. We were pooping. We used to get up half an hour before we went to bed. Manure Boy, which was my, my nickname at school, was not going to fit in very well. This week, I'm talking to Will Meller. He's an actor best known for his roles as Jambo in Hollyoaks and Gaz in Two Pints of Lager and a Packet of Crisps, and soon as Bad Guy Harvey in Coronation Street. He's also got a cracking singing voice and is a sometime presenter, as we met on a show we hosted together called World's Toughest Driving Tests. I think you can still find it out on the internet somewhere. Originally from a big family in Manchester, Will now lives with his wife and his son and daughter in Berkshire. So, who had the better time growing up, him or his kids? We'll start at the very beginning then with your childhood. Describe to me, because weren't there masses of, haven't you got masses of siblings? Um, Well, uh, yeah, there was uh, five of us, so I've got four older sisters, um, and the closest one in age is six years. So I think my mum and dad had four girls, and my dad desperately wanted a boy um and i think um six years went by and i think my mum didn't take the pill or some along the lines of it was a bit i think i was a bit of an happy accident or i was a un- unintentional accident i don't know but um yeah we couldn't really couldn't really afford to have five kids but the but i came along as the, so i'm the youngest of five as i say in the close one ages six years all that makes me think you saying that is everyone will have spoiled you rotten is that the case Depends what you mean by spoil. Um, we didn't really have money, so it wasn't that. It was more about attention. I had a lot of attention, and as you can tell, I'm a bit of a show off. I can't help it. I do demand a bit of attention, and uh, I can't. I suppose that's why I do the job I do. I sort of like entertaining, and you know, and we 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 sort of was a close family, and we was always laughing and doing stuff together, and uh, yeah. And I suppose when you're in a big family like that, and you're a relatively small house you tend to have to shout for attention. And because and I was the youngest, I sort of got a lot of it, I suppose, and uh, probably drove my sister's crackers, you know what I mean? So did you have your own room or did you have to share a room? Share, I had to share a room, yeah. Um, me, me, it depends on... When we, when I was re- really young, um, I shared a room, but I didn't really remember it so much. I had bunk beds. Um, and then I shared a room with my sister um, for a number of years until uh, I think my eldest moved out. Uh, and then I ended up with my own room when I, I just just was getting to being a teenager. I got my own room. So you're going to say when you're about seventeen or something, <laughs> finally got your own room. So do you have a sister you're closest to, or what? What's the sort of setup amongst all your sisters? It's a tough one um, because my, I've got one sister that lives in France, um, Janice. She's my eldest, and she was like what we class as the clever one. She was the one who actually did something at school, um, and. Um, you know, we, we all said, oh, look at Swatty Janice, just because she actually tried to do something with herself. And she would shout at me for making noise while she was studying. And she she did really well in school and went on to be the head of the civil service. And she was overqualified to be a teacher. She did really, really well and worked hard. Um, and she said, I wasn't naturally clever. I just wanted to work hard and do. So she lives in France with her husband and her children, been there for 
about probably uh, about 25 years now more. Um, so she teaches English to the French and French to the English and helps people with their move over to England, expats and stuff like that. Um, so I don't see her as much as I'd like to, but she's an amazing person. My other sister, jo- Joanne, um, was mentally and physically disabled, born that way. Um, and she sadly passed away um, about 10 years ago. Um, so that's been tough, really tough. Um, um, but yeah, uh, and very close to her, as I say, she was, we lived on a council estate and everyone knew her. She was a lively um, personality. Um, everybody knew my sister Jo and uh, her funeral was uh, was a representation of that. You know, it was standing room only. It was packed out and she was just well-loved. Um, um, and then me, um, my other sister, Cheryl, uh, she owns a cafe called Mellors in Romley, where we, near where we grew up. Um, and uh, yeah, we're, we're all close. And my sister, Sarah, we used to fight a lot because she was the youngest in age. But um, yeah, we're all close in different ways. It's hard to say who I'm closest to because it's my family. You know what I mean? Yeah, because I'm trying to think how long ago it was we worked together. And that makes me sad hearing about Jill because I think... I've been married, what, 10 years, and I wasn't married when we worked together. So I remember you talking about Joe. Mm. And yeah. I also remember what a family guy you were. You, you've always talked about your dad and your family and all of that. It's it's really important to you, isn't it? Well, it's massively important. Um, it's who I am. Um, I'm a fa- I mean, I, I am as a father as well. I, I, it means the world to me when we get together and we watch a movie together or we go out together or... Being together as a family, it's so important to be tight um, because warts and all, that's all you've got. You know what I mean? They're your backbone if everything else fails. And yeah, and, and when you take a knock like that, losing a family member, and I lost my dad this year, well, last year now, um, um, in, in April last year, um, and, and it, it really is tough. Uh, and that's when you really do come together and, you know, you put to put aside any stupid little disagreements you might have had and you realise they're your backbone. So it's massively important to me. Um you know, it's where you get your strength from and it's where you get your support from. Um, I speak to my mum every single day without fail, sometimes two or three times a day. Massively important. Yeah, you've spoken a lot about losing your dad last year. And I know I texted you at the time because you'd done you that um, little uh, thing on Instagram. Um, mm. How much are, are you like him, do you think? Um. I'm a lot like him um, in a lot of ways, um, but then I'm not like him in other ways. I think I think as a father, you'd want to send, you want to pass down the best bits and let your son get rid of the bad bits and then become a better person. I think that every generation, I you want to, you want, I want my son to be better than me. You know what I mean? I want, I, I, I try my best to be the best I can be, but we've all, we're all, we've all got lots of faults, you know. And my dad had faults, you know. We had a fiery temper, you know. I mean, his way he disciplined me as a kid, I wouldn't do that to my son. But different times calls for different measures, and. He, he was struggling, you know, he was in prison when I was very young. Um, we um, we grew up, uh, as I say, on a council estate. We was poor, but we was loved and we didn't feel poor, you know what I mean, as kids. Um, but it must have been really tough for my mum as well. You know, my dad was in prison and she had, I think she had three or four kids under five on her own with, you know, we had to rely on help from neighbours and stuff. And um, oh but my, What was your yeah. dad in prison for? What happened there? I definitely didn't know that. Yeah, he's... Um, it was an accumulation of things. Um, you're trying to make ends meet by going down the wrong path without going into too much detail. Um, and um, yeah, he was a bit of a dodgy dealer. And um, yeah, he was got himself into a few issues. I think I think we didn't have a we didn't have a coloured coloured TV, um, but I think we had fifteen in the loft. Was, <laughs> <laughs> I think I think he robbed Rumbelows. 
I don't know. Do you know what? I can't remember because I was so young, but uh, I know one of his friends got caught running down a, a dark lane with a TV on his shoulder, and I think it was one of ours. But I, I just think there was a few things my dad was into that I didn't know, um, and he, he, he wasn't one of them people that was breaking into people's houses or nothing like that. I think there was a few dodgy dealings going on, and he got caught for it, and he took the rap for a lot of it, and he was in there f- uh, for a number of years. So it was a couple of years, I think 18 months, I think he did, which is a long time when you've got kids and uh, he said it broke his heart when I came to see him because I was I was only probably six eight months old and then when I went to see him he couldn't get his visitation right so when I went to see him I'd probably say three or four months had passed and and he put his arms out and I cried my eyes out I didn't recognize him and, and it broke his heart because it was you know I was, I was his young little boy and he, and he just felt I'd le- he'd left and he it just it was the best thing that happened to him and the worst thing that happened to him because he, he just said I'll never ever go in there and he was so tough on me because he said you don't ever end up in there so don't be like me don't make them mistakes and that's why he was very hard on me not to hang around on corners and go meeting lads on the park drinking I never did any of that because my dad had give me a crack it was that era where you're allowed to eat your kids and he made sure he, he made sure he got his fill of doing that I'll tell you but he kept and me on the straight and narrow you know do you think he did that you as the lad or was he strict with his daughters as well he was strict with us all it was it was very very um big on learning how to fight and looking after yourself and because that's all he he sort of knew from his dad his dad was a terrible father to him so he was a he was a a million times better than his dad was to him his dad was horrendous um so um as i see it he was um he was an improvement like i said that's what you want to be of his father so i knew his his shortcomings weren't his fault you know there was there was what he's learned from his father and he loved us he didn't really know how to show it at times. He never really hugged us that much. I mean, he kissed me. If, if he if he give me a crack for something, put it this way, I'd done something wrong. I he'd come up and say sorry at the end of the night when I was in bed, and I'd lie there waiting for him to come up, and and then I could sleep after that, and I knew everything was alright because he was my hero, you know. And I, I didn't want, I wanted to make him proud. Were you frightened of him then? Yeah, terrified of him. Yeah, I mean, he was he was he was a man. That your mum would just say, "I'll tell your father," and that was it. But you needed that discipline, if you know what I'm saying. You needed that. I mean. He's, he was my biggest fan and my biggest supporter and he supported me for everything. He was, he, in that way, he was great. Just as a kid, he wanted me to have that fear. So when I wasn't with him, I didn't go down the route of drugs and drink and, and all that nonsense. And and, I, and, um, and in our area, he was terrified of me growing up in an area where it was rough and me not being able to look after myself. So we thought the best thing he could do was teach me how to fight. I, I was in the boxing ring at seven years old um, and I boxed. Uh, for a number, number, number of years um, until I, I was acting and uh, and I was a bit sort of, you know, I, I was sort of didn't want to come forward and tell him I wanted to be a performer just in case he would say, well, you're a boxer, you know, and, and, he, and he just went, well, that's what you want to do, so I'll support you. And it was the best thing. And he took me to all my castings with my mum and took me to took me to everything. And he was the first there, the last to take me home. He waited all day for me. And without their support, I wouldn't have been able to do it. So, I'm glad he's done what he's done. I would never do that with my kids. It's a different era now, and my kids grew up in a completely different way. But um, I I believe I'm a good person, so it's not made me a bad person, if you know what I mean. I think having a bit of fear of of, of being told off or having a crack off your dad wasn't a bad thing in them days. Yeah, so I didn't know about the boxing either. I'm, I'm yeah. come at this thinking, you know, there's that cheddar I worked with years ago, and now actually I'm <laughs> listening to you going, oh, man, man. Um, mm. In terms of when you got into acting and stuff, you've got, a, just to compliment you for a second, you've got a brilliant voice as well. Was it, what came first? Was it into the singing, into the acting? What was it? 
Um, oh, do you know what it was? Um, I was always performing uh, as a kid. It was something I could do. For, well, not what I could do, but I wanted to do it. every wedding. You can imagine I was, I was the kid that had everyone stood round in a circle clapping while I was in the middle doing Michael Jackson impressions. I've got, <laughs> I've got so many videos, old wedding videos, my sister's weddings, me in the middle <laughs> commanding all the attention, trying to do a moonwalk. It was just literally. Um, I loved it. I can't help it. It's something that's in me. I think we've all got something in us. It's just finding out what that is and trying to make that what you do because, you know, you fulfil your dreams and and, and I, I have done that. And, I'm, and I honestly used to lie there dreaming about, you know, performing and being on TV or performing on stage. And I used to, I wasn't a good singer there. I, I just tried and tried and tried and tried and tried, you know, and didn't give up and taught myself piano, um, taught myself keyboards and piano, built myself a little studio, tried to make music and, I wasn't a kid that was out on the streets all the time, you know. I was in the house, I'm making films and stuff with a little camcorder I got for Christmas. I was, I got all my, my mates in the on the estate to be in my movies and stuff. Nightmare on Wild Street and all that, and Chucky <laughs> too, and with my sister's dolls. I made all sorts of stupid films. <laughs> and were you funny at that point? I don't know. I, I, do you know what it is when you come from it? Your characters aren't they? You know, and. and I just I like making people laugh. I like entertaining people. I like, I'm just me though. I'm not someone for cracking jokes. I just see a situation and say it as it is. And you know, it, it, I like to have a good time and enjoy myself. I'm, I live on energy. I'm like a. My mum used to say I'm like a fart in a colander. I don't even know what that means. But it's. <laughs> but I'm, I'm just. I'm just. I'm everywhere, and I, I just. Uh, it's just. My, my missus is convinced I've got adult ADHD, and I've just never been tested. Uh, I just. <laughs> yeah, maybe I have. I just like I like entertaining people. Yeah. So holidays wise, did you yeah. get away on holidays, or was that just not something you could afford? Yeah, we did. We went caravan holidays. My favourite. I take my kids now. Well, I, I have done in the past when we were allowed to leave the house. Um, <laughs> we used to we used to go a lot to Butlins and Pontins and all them kind of places, and you get deals and um, yeah. And, and you know what? That's like I said, money isn't about you know enjoying yourself. You don't need a lot of money for that. You just need to be you know, with a family that's willing to get up and go and do stuff. So we'd drive down to the coast and we'd go to Butlins, Patheli or Minehead. And and there we had freedom and, you know, there was always something to do. You're on a camp so the parents could let you go a bit. Uh, oh, it was just great times, you know, and we was a big family. So we'd go into all the talent shows. We'd all be in them. Every different show, we'd all be in a different one and donkey racing and, you know, every every kind of thing you could do on these caravan or we did all these camp holidays. They were fantastic times, great times. So I'm just looking. You're 44, aren't you? So was this sort of late 70s or early 80s? When about was it? You'd be early 80s. Early right. 80s. I mean, yeah. I mean, I'd say eight, nine, ten. I was. Yeah, we used to go with these holiday camps, and you know, you'd be freezing in a cagoule. Your mum telling you to get in the sea, and you'd be stood there dithering, looking for crabs on the beach. And it sounds rubbish, but we loved it because that's that's what we knew. You know, freezing cold on a beach looking for crabs sounds horrendous, but it was great times, you know, and we'd be in a caravan and playing swing ball outside. All the stuff that that I would that I love about being a kid, we did. Um, because we didn't have the technology that you've got now. So we went out and we found uh found little things we could do and you know, little hiding places and pockets of fun and building dens and just being a kid. And it was, they were, they were good times. As I say, uh, it's not all about having money because, you know, we didn't have much of it, but we had a good time and, yeah, we had a good family. And who were your mates? My mate, my best mate, still my best mate now. Uh, I've kept in touch with him all these mates. His name's Anthony Hooley. We went to school together. Um, and, um, yeah, we, um, 
he had a tough time, lost his dad when he was really young at school and we went through a lot of stuff and he was very close to me and he was the first person he rang when he lost his dad. And he, do you know, you need a mate, you need mates like that, especially when you, you have the career that I've had, you know, you lose touch. And I, I lost touch with him for a while. Um, a good few years, I was doing Hollyoaks and other stuff. And and then um, I sort of got in touch with him and I said, would oh, you fancy coming out? And he said, I, 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 don't, I don't know how to talk to you. And it was like he saw me as this person on telly now and, uh, it was very strange, and he came to meet me, and he, he didn't know he didn't know sort of what he should do, how to behave, and he, I think he knocked a table of drinks over, and we all laughed at a bit, and he said, "I'll have to go home." And he, I was like, "Don't be daft, it's me." You know what I mean? He, he, he sort of because he'd lo- he'd seen me on TV for this length of time, he'd lost touch with who we were, and then uh, and it was it was great, and, and now as I say, I speak to him most days, and yeah, and when I go up north, I see him a lot, and it's good to have someone in your corner who's known you all your life because you know he's got your back. Yeah, and how old were you then when you first got a break? You first got on telly. Twelve. Um, I was I was twelve, and I got uh, I was in a, a documentary for Clive Barker, who played. Uh, he, he wrote Hellraiser and Hellbound and all them kind of horror films and horror books, and he went to the same school as John Lennon and all this stuff. Um, um, and they did a documentary on him for ITV, and I went for the casting, and I just got into this agency. I, I saw it in the paper, and I said, Mum. They're doing an open audition for this agency in Manchester. Um, the, the, any street kid can go and audition. You don't have to have any experience. So she went, well, I'll take you down. And hundreds of kids there. And and she, this, the, 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 the agent, Elaine Greeley, Elaine Management in Manchester, took me in the room, had a chat with me, saw me, and walked out and put her hands on my shoulder. And she went, whoever's his son, I want him in my agency. Um, I must have just had someone that she liked. And, and then I got the first four castings I went for. I went up and I just had energy and... I wasn't feared, and um, and the first one was Clive Barker, the, and I had to play him as a schoolboy. No speaking, it was just me in a classroom or walking around, and it was like a voiceover over me. And the only reason why I got it is because I had the same colour eyes as him. Everyone else in the room had brown eyes. I had blue eyes, and I thought, well, I've got this part. That's easy. <laughs> <laughs> That's easy. They can't cast any of them. They've not got the same colour eyes. So that was it, and, the, and it, it started there. Um, and then I went on to Children's Ward and commercials and – Brookside and all these other things building up to Hollyoaks and then that was my break. Before that, because in the 80s, I knew from watching Philip Schofield that I wanted to be a kid's telly presenter. But growing up in Middlesbrough, it just seemed like the most ridiculous thing to come out and yeah. say. Did you have a bit of that of thinking it's so, out? you know, I didn't know anyone that did that. I didn't know anyone in telly that was famous or anything. Did you have that or was your bravado such that you were like, yeah, why can't I do it? Um, it was a bit of both. Um, I believe in no doubt that I was going to do it um, in my mind. And it, I don't care how arrogant it sounds. There's n- the, you can ask any of my family. I told my mum and dad for years and years before I even did anything. I said, I'm going to be, I'm going to be famous. I'm going to be on telly. Me, I'm going to do And they said, well, maybe that might not happen. I said, well, why not? Why can't it? Why not? And, and it sounds ridiculous because my parents were being parents trying to sort of sort of keep me from keep my feet on the ground and say well do the same from disappointment um and even at school once i was uh i'd done a few bits i mean i I, i'd done some bits of tv and then i went do you know when you go to see the job the job officer and they tell and they sort of put you down for work experience i told them i said well i want to be an actor you know i'm a performer they said well you can't do that so we'll put you down as a mechanic (laughs) so (laughs) so i went and worked in a garage for two weeks it's just stupid you can't do that, they said, and uh, that, that's that's not possible. Uh, so they just killed. They tried to kill me. Um, they threw me out. I mean, I was terrible at school. I didn't do very well because 
they sort of didn't support what I wanted. Um, no, and and I just played up in school. I just wanted everyone to laugh. So in classes, when I'm supposed to be working, I was trying to make people laugh, and I just got throughout all the time. And have you got any fallback skills? Would you say if it all ends tomorrow? <laughs> Can you do that garage work? Can you call on it? No, no, none at all. I mean, I tell you what, I could do. I'd, I'd do a bit of wheeler dealing, buying and selling, like like Del Boy. I could do that because I've got. I, have you still I, got I, those tellies in your loft now? <laughs> no, honestly, there was a time, right? I'll tell you why. Because when I was in between work, because you, as you know, when you know you wanted to be a presenter, I wanted to be a performer, actor, whatever it was, singer, whatever it was. The, it's not it's not a regular income, you know. So I um if I got a job, you know, I, I tried to save a bit of money and then I bought something that would make me money. So I, as soon as I got a bit of money, I bought myself. Uh, uh, I obviously got a car. I bought it for six hundred quid. A Ford Fiesta XR2 lookalike. I couldn't even get the real one. I had to get a lookalike. <laughs> so and then um I, and then I bought some DJ equipment so I could go and do DJs. Not like what you get now. It's like classy ones. Like I'd go and do eighteenths and twenty fifths and fiftieths and weddings and and i'd be one of them out going remember this one from leo sayer all that sort of crap. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I'd, I'd do dj so that so i sort of bought so, so i didn't have to go and work because the last thing i wanted to do was go and do a nine-to-five job i couldn't sit and go and do the same thing every day i just couldn't do that it just i wouldn't be living that for me so mm-hmm. this meant i didn't have to go and do that I kept my mum off my back and i had a bit of money coming in um and then i, I ended up i got someone had a card for um for a wholesaler's, it was my sister's ex-ex-boyfriend, and he had a card for a wholesaler's who used to go and buy and sell. So you go in, and you could get all cheap stuff. So I, so he gave me a card, right? So I went down, shown the card. So I got in, and then I'd, I'd buy like hundred pounds worth of like sportswear, socks, and football tops and shirts when people used to go out in, you know, like umbro tops and stuff like that. And I'd buy them and, yeah. and take them up in my car, then drive around all the pubs on a Sunday, and sell them at a profit. So I could go back to doing that, I suppose, if it all went tits up. You could, although I think the DJing sounds like you'd be all right at that. People are tired, like a celeb DJ for a wedding when things get back to normal. I'd have a bit of that. When it comes back to yeah, when it comes back to people with, with flashing lights and talking in between each song, that's what I was doing. <laughs> Not the classic oh, good stuff now. Trying to take over, then you'd sing a song, wouldn't you, in the middle of it? You'd have like a. I'm just going to. I'm just going to give you must. I'm just going to give you Mustang Sally. I'll just give Mustang Sally for the, before the next track. I'm just going to sing this one for you. <laughs> <laughs> what do you reckon that made your childhood special? Would you say? Um. I think the fact that we, we we sort of made our fun. Um, it, I was of an era where we played out. You go out and come in smelling of cold, and I don't think kids do that anymore. Do you know when you that smell of being out all day, the cold yeah, smell. The uh, you, yeah, yeah, and your mum would your mum would shout me. And this is one thing that I, I used to hate a bit because I had a three syllable name. My full name's William, obviously. People, my mates said I'd be on the park playing. Football, we had a valley, it was called the valley, and we'd put coats down or between the trees and play football. And then you'd hear my mum go, William, <laughs> your tea's on the table. You know, and then I'd have to go, and all my mates would be going, William. <laughs> so they used to all shout at me up the street when they'd see me. And so I, I, so my mum would have to come and find me to get me in just to, and I'd eat my food and I'd be back out before it was bath time. You know what I mean? Yeah. Great times. And I don't know whether... The generation of today are going to be able to look back and have their memories. And I'm trying my best to keep them away from the computers, laptops and phones. And it's just so difficult. You find a losing battle at times. Did you have a chopper? 
Oh, I've always had one of them. Oh, bike. Sorry. Um, <laughs> Smuts, you set them up, I'll pop my way, love. Um, I do, I do know what, um, I, I can't remember where I had one, but uh, my daughter's got one in the garage. Um, my sister's, my, my wife's sister had a big retro party and she kept this uh, grifter bike uh, in purple and, be, and we went around to her house, she was clearing it all out. And I've kept it, and my daughter, uh, my daughter says, "Oh, it's my favourite colour." And so we've got one, a retro one, in the garage. Um, I love it. It's like looking at the DeLorean. I go in and say, "Oh, memories." You know what I mean? Yes. Um, and it, yeah, remember that one? They had the gears in the middle. If you fell off, you used to whack your bits on the middle bit. <laughs> yes. Oh, who designed that? It was a terrible yeah, idea. Oh yes. What do you reckon was the worst moment of your childhood then? Oh, I don't. I, I tell you, I tell you what was bad, and and and, and this isn't. It was. I used to pass out when I used to cry. Um, I used to hold my breath, um, and, and I sort of grew out of it. But there was a time when, if I got if I was upset, I'd, I'd hold my breath and, and, and literally pass out, um, and it was horrible because I'd come round and my dad would give me a crack for passing out because I How because I fright- when you were doing that. Oh, I don't know. I was young, you know. But I have memories of it. Um, but because we'd, I'd panicked my dad up, and my dad thought it was because I was having a paddy. So he he give me a crack for doing it, and then I pass out. And when I wake up, he cracked me for passing out. It was like fucking Jesus. So it wasn't, a, yeah. And that was that was quite scary at times. You know what I mean? Just waking up, and then you I've get another crack around the ear. Yeah, no, it was. You must remember kids hold the breath sometimes when they get they cry and they go. <gasps> They yeah, got, they, they I got got blue. You could never not uh, like pass out with it because you. Yeah, I did. Yeah, for yourself. a period. Yeah, for a period, I did pass out a bit. Um, I'm not really spoke about that to be honest. It just came to me then when you said it. But that was a pretty crap time, and you know, I had an operation on my back because um, I was born with a like it, it was like a mole, but it was I can't sort of it was probably about six inches long and about three inches wide, like a like a cylinder a shape. Mark. Yeah, but on me on the lower part of my back, and it was <clears throat> and it had hair on it, and and when I got older, I know it sounds very attractive. <laughs> when I got older, they said they said um, at hospital uh, the doctors checked and they said it could turn cancerous when he gets older. So when we're, we're going to remove it, but because I was such a obviously full of energy kid, ADHD probably, um, I didn't sit still. So when they stitched it, I used to keep ripping the, the, the stitching up. And because as soon as the doctors would leave me, my parents would go. I'd be skating on the on the dinner trolleys and all sorts and falling over, and they couldn't keep me still. And, and because of that, when it came to taking the stitch out, it was one long stitch woven through. It had grown into my back because of the healing pro, and they had to sort oh. of cut it out. And it, I was in agony. I was screaming, and I'll never forget it. And I must have only been six, seven. And you know when you've got a memory that you don't forget. And it's that young, you know, you were traumatized by it. That was a really tough time, and yeah, they had to. I was, yeah, it was bad that, and I've still got the scar to prove. I've got a big scar across my back, and it's a mess because I've wrecked it from messing about. And have you got the uh, mole in a jar somewhere still? No, that's gone. <laughs> Moving on to your family yeah. then, and you know, whatever level you think you might be cool at. Your kids are, well, you know, I've seen bits of them for researching this. I've watched a couple of things online and I'm chums on Facebook and I see what they get up to. They are cooler than you could ever hope to be, aren't they? I'm far from cool, me. Listen, I'm, I am not cool at all. I don't protest to be cool. My wife, I, I, you know, I, I'm useless at a lot of stuff and, you know, I'm, I'm just me. I'm, I'm, I'm a dozy sod, really. Um, and my, my kids sort of look at me as a bit of a joke. 
Because, you know, you know, it's like, oh, mum, come and see what dad's doing upstairs. Come and see what dad's done. Oh, look at what dad's wearing. Oh, look, dad's dancing. Look at what dad... So I... And I think that's part of my job, to embarrass my kids. I think that's... I'm supposed to be an embarrassing dad. I'm supposed to be... Because I think... I don't care how old I'm getting. In my brain, I'm still a young, fit, 20-year-old, you know, who thinks he can do it all. You know what I mean? I, I like having a good time and having a laugh and... So, me, so yeah, my kids, I'm a bit embarrassing to my kids and my kids are very, very cool compared to me. So you've got Jaden and you've got uh, Rene. Is it Rene? Yes. Rene, yeah. Rene, that's it. And how old are they now? Jaden's 16 and Rene's 12. <gasps> oh, my word. And Tell me about it. are they showing signs of wanting to do what you do? <clears throat> um, it's tough, you know, because um, my son Jaden... We have a performing arts school that my wife set up and runs called Mella Performing Arts, and they both go to that um, uh, as part of confidence and being a part of it, you know what I mean? And um, it's in the local village where we where we live, and we set it up, so give kids a chance to go and find out if they want to do something like this. We teach all sorts of dance, performing arts, and drama, ballet, and all sorts. We put a show on every year, gets the kids a chance to go on stage, and we made it cheaper than all the other places, so... It wasn't about money. It was about you know if you want to come along and try something, try it. You know and get give get, give you a bit of confidence. And it, um, it's not for everybody who's going to be a performer, but it's good for confidence and meeting new people and trying new things. Anyway, my kids go to that. But as far as performing, no, they're not. They're not. It's not in them like it is me. Like I'd have to sort of try and push them, and I don't want to do that. Me, no one had to push me. I was already in front running running for the, the doors, you know, trying to get through and get on that stage. I, it was in me. I couldn't I couldn't stop doing what I do. <clears throat> um, but as them, Jaden now studies um, creative media at Reading College. So he's thinking of going behind the camera and going into editing and um, editing videos and making videos and film and that sort of stuff. And Renee's very creative in – she's great with her hands. She makes a lot of clay models and very delicate. And, I mean, these are things that – you don't ask her to do. You go up in a room and she's made a whole family of models out of stuff and painted them all. And she just loves it. She can't stop doing it. So I'm sort of looking at what they're doing and thinking, I'll just support you in whatever it is you've got. And that's what my daughter's got. I'll get her to art college and try and get her to do something that she loves for a living. And in terms of what you've done for a living, has it meant <clears throat> you've been around a lot or has it meant you've been away a lot? How were you when they were growing up? How present were you? I think I was very present considering, I mean, there was times obviously when I was away for for periods of time, <clears throat> but I moved, um, I, I moved into London when I was filming Two Pints because we were filming it around the corner from BBC, well, I was living around the corner from BBC at Wood Lane where all the studios was. So I was there, uh, rehearsals Monday to Thursday, uh, Friday, Friday and Saturday, filming it on Friday night. And then, so I was home every day. Um, but I knew London wasn't a place I was going to bring my kids up because it isn't a place for families. From As far as I'm concerned, from where I came from, you couldn't just let your kids run out and enjoy themselves and go on bike rides. And it was just a bit too busy and a lot going on. And it, I just thought if, if I go there now and then I'll look to move out once they get to, you know, three and four. And, and we moved out, I think, when Jaden was uh, four, four and a half. We moved out um, a bit more into the countryside where I live now. So it's easy into London, but... It's further out, um, so I did. I did see. I did see him a lot. Um, the way I'd look at it this way is, if I was doing a nine to five job, or I probably seen them more than if I was doing a regular job, because usually you go out in the morning and then you come back in the evening. The kids are in bed, you know. Whereas I, had, when I'm off, I'm off for months. But when I'm working, I'm working for a couple of months. If you know what I mean. 
Yeah, because I often think of you now, because when we worked together, you had the kids and I didn't yet have kids. And I remember yeah. we used to do these long haul flights back. We'd done this <clears throat> ridiculous filming schedule on that show that we did, um, yeah. which I should probably say was it was world's toughest driving test we did together. And we went around the world and we tested out different vehicles against brilliant, each yeah. other. Great um, time. And we had to live with families. It was a brilliant, brilliant show. But you on the plane on the way back, we'd be wrecked. And you'd be like, I'm going to have to go full on. Your kids were young then back yeah. into because obviously Michelle had been holding the fort and now yeah. I'm that person that my husband is a director he goes away loads and it's that sort of difficult thing <clears throat> of I've, I'll have done weekends on my own with our three and Mark comes back he's wrecked and I'm like well hang on you've got to step up and get involved in this now and it's quite tricky in a way to do that isn't it yeah definitely tricky it's definitely tricky <clears throat> and, and that's where you know you find out how tight you are in a relationship people sometimes say you know, they'll have a kid to try and save the relationship. I think that's the worst idea you can possibly do. It's like throwing petrol on a fire. You know, it's, it's make sure you're solid before you have kids because they will test you to the core. And it's not the kids. It's the tiredness and the and the lack of attention to each other because, you know, you wake up when you want when you haven't got kids and, you know, obviously when you're not working and stuff. And, you know, your time is just about each other. Um, but then, you, yeah, um, luckily... Luckily, um, I, I, we're a tight family, as I say, and <clears throat> my wife understands, um, you know, that I, I have to earn money for the for us to have what we have, and that's part of my job. And I was doing the job when she met me, and she, the, the only difference is my wife was a professional dancer when I met. So once we had kids, when she had, her career just went. So she just went from being a performer on stage and doing videos with Craig David, and she went on, she went around Europe with um, Beyonce and Destiny's Child. She was their chief dancer. She was living that kind of life, and she had to stop all that and be a mum, which was really tough for her. And I know it gave her a big knock, you know what I mean? Because that's she's a performer, and to then put you in a house for weeks on end with a baby, suddenly you go, well, what's my, what's my worth now? You know what I mean? So I had to sort of get that round in my head, um, and understand her from her point of view, which was really tough for her, which is why I'm glad she set the school up because, you know, now she's, she's sort of, you know, she's, um, she's doing what she wants to do in another way. Yeah. She's still got it in her life, which is still scratching the itch, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And how much of a pressure did you, do you feel to provide for your family in terms of our, I mean, it's all just gone at the minute, hasn't it? It's madness in, in the arts Mm. and the current situation. How much is that a pressure to you to provide for them? Huge pressure, but pressure that I want. I don't deal with it very well sometimes. I mean, I had a, I've had some bad, bad times mentally with, especially after I lost my sister. I, I, I sort of lost any kind of um, for a while anyway. I lost a bit of drive, and that's one thing I've never been lacking. And didn't want to get out of bed, and I must have been on the verge of depression, you know. And I didn't know I was on it, but just sort of evaluating things, going, what, what am I doing here? You know what I mean? Who am I? You know what I mean? What, I'm, what am I about? I've got to go and flog myself to people that. And then they go, we want you or we don't want you. And, you know, if the things that you know in, in your industry are about and the things that I thrive on going, well, you know, if I don't get this one, I'll get the next one. Sometimes when you take a big knock, like losing a family member, you you find you, you can find yourself in a dark place for a bit. And I did, got myself out of it. Um, but I have found it tough, but it's part of what I believe I'm here to do. And I know it's um, all equal opportunities and all that now. And anyone in the household can be the breadwinner and that's all fine. But I do feel it is my job to provide for my family. I'm old-fashioned in that way, and um, I can't help that. Doesn't mean my wife can't provide. Of course she can, and she's doing. It's just I feel like, um, yeah, I, I have to carry it. Um, 
and with that comes a bit of responsibility and it's um, and that responsibility gets me out of bed and shakes the trees to catch the apples to get work and that's life mm. how <clears> did you get out of your fog when you were in it then <clears throat> i think my wife really pointed it out and um because it's weird you know i'm, I'm my kids are my life, um, and I didn't even want to see them. I mean, that's, that sounds horrible, but I didn't. I just, you know, they, they, everyone was getting to me. I could, everything annoyed me. Everything got to me. And I'm, for somebody who I like to see the lighter side of the day and try and find the best in the day and, and, and have fun, and, you know, you can't keep that up at times. You know, sometimes you just got to be realistic and go, listen, I'm, I'm struggling a bit here. And I kept trying to put that face on. And I was struggling a bit. Um, I didn't know how to deal with it. You know, I didn't, I didn't know how to deal with... I was trying to support my, my, my sisters and my mum, my dad from losing my sister. And I don't think I really grieved, you know, and you don't, um, it just got, just confused me. But, you know, I'm open and honest and say that, you know, that can happen to anybody. Um, and also I was out of work and when you're, when you're working, it's a distraction. But I did, I think I did, I did, um, I, I, she died when I was filming Broadchurch and I, and it was a peak really for playing a character that wasn't like me in, in a show that was hugely successful um, and then I didn't work for six months. And, and when you're on your own, not working for six months, you're worrying about work. You're thinking, well, where's the, where, there's no phone call coming in. And then you lose it. I lost my sister. And then it all just piled on top of me. Um, but I got out and uh, I got out because of my family, you know, and uh, just, just I admitted to myself that I wasn't doing great. My wife sort of pulled me out of it. And we got through it slowly but surely. So it must have been strange then losing your dad when you did in, in the sort of climate that we're in, because all those things that you're saying, you couldn't necessarily have turned to. You know, work has been scarce. We can't hug people. We can't see people. That Were you prepared, do you think, from what you'd been through before and knowing how to eventually deal with it, with what happened then with your dad? I don't know. Never prepared for losing your dad. I'll tell you what helped me um, with my dad. Um, he was, he's not, he'd not been great for a little while. Like he hadn't been himself. I used to, we used to go everywhere together, holidays and I, we, every year. We, I mean, obviously before we had kids, we go away every year, father and son holiday. We go different places. We go on fishing holidays, my uncle and, and just be together, go to Man United. And we, we just do loads of things. Even when I went to do my PAs, you know, the appearances in clubs, I'd take my dad because I'd say, dad, you got to come here. We'll have a right laugh. And, and he'd come and just, you know, be a part of it. Um, and I, because I knew one day this was going to come and I thought I never want to look back at myself and go, I, I should have done that or I could have done that or I could have done more because I knew it was going to kill me because it was such a massive part of my life. Um, so when he was not so great, um, his hearing wasn't good. He was having pains. He'd had a bad back. He broke his back when he was younger. So when he got older, um, he had a calcium, calcium growth and it was pressing on his nerves. So it was on tablets and, and he talked about taking his own life to me, uh, saying, listen, I'm not enjoying my life. I'm just letting you know. And I and I go and see him and say, Dad, I don't say that thing to. Her. I can't have it. And he just said, I'm just telling you now. When I go, it's because I I, want, I don't want to be here anymore. I'm telling you now. Anyway, um, he got cancer of the lung and it had gone to his brain. It, it collapsed with a seizure. Um, and my mum phoned me. And my sister phoned me screaming, and it, it collapsed with a, a seizure. And it's and they found out it was cancer in his brain, and um, and it killed him within two weeks. Um, but he didn't want to be here. He said to my mum listen, I don't want to go through what I know I'm going to have to go through. I'm not going to survive it anyway. I don't want to be here. And he said, I just want to go to sleep and not wake up. Um, and that's what happened. He went to hospital and he, uh, his breathing slowed down and he passed away. And the, what that's what saved me. Because when I think about him, I think, you know what? That's what he wanted. He went peacefully. He wasn't in a lot of pain. 
he wasn't really enjoying his life anymore. And my job is to let him go, but remember the good times and take him with me, you know. Mm. And so presumably you still talk about him now with your gang. Yeah, it was. Very, very, do you know what? I don't really. It's strange. We don't. We have not. We have nights. I mean, we had that little brief bit uh, in between lockdown one and some. You know, all the nonsense where we could go back to restaurants for a bit and bar. And I went to see my mum, and me and my sisters and my mum, not me, the other sister Janice, she's in France, but my other two sisters, and we went and sat. We had we had dinner and sat and we spoke about Joanne, spoke about my dad, and we barely laughed about great times, and it was so good to do because it's hard over the phone. Face to face, it was great, um, and it was really good to do. Talk about the good times and the good memories, and it, it takes time to be able to do that because there was a period where I couldn't talk about it without breaking down, um, which is natural. Um, and it's accepting it, you know, it's accepting the fact you're going to have down days and you're going to have to cry. And you, and I go for walks sometimes, um, put music on, and listen to his songs, and I'll cry my eyes out. But you know, sometimes that's what you have to do. The problem is the first time is I just tried to pretend it hadn't happened and bottling it up. It's not good. Mm. That's why I'm sort of I'm an ambassador now for uh, Kaleidoscope Plus Group Team KPG, which are a mental health charity, um, and and I think it's important that I can talk about it. And I say on that, you know, it's okay not to be okay, and talking helps. But if I if I said that and I don't do it myself, I'm a hypocrite. So I have to talk because it's it's important. And in terms of talking, when it comes to your kids, um, I was going to ask what, what your lowest parenting moment was. Do you right. go and, like your dad doesn't go, I'm sorry, I've messed up their kids? Or, you know, what's your parenting style, I suppose, is what I'm asking. Um, yeah, I, I have got a fast temper. I really have. Um, obviously, I don't hit my kids. I shout a lot, you know. Like, th- things, what, do you know, like when you've told your kids to do something over and over again and then they, you know, whether it might be... <laughs> You know, clothes everywhere or bowls everywhere or rubbish. And my daughter with it, my daughter's so creative. Um, and I never want to take that away from her. But her carpets, which we spent a lot of money on, it is like Joseph's Technicolor Dreamcoat. The amount of colours. Because <laughs> she's got she's got purple there, green there, slime there, this there, stuff that I can't get out because it's welded in, clay. You know, because she's creative. And I say and I say to her, if you're gonna do it, put something down. On, and then you can do it or you I don't mind you doing it or do it downstairs in the kitchen where you can control it. But her brain just goes, make that now. She doesn't think, prep it. And she just makes it. And then a room's like a bomb's gone off. And it's the same. And it's just, it's not hard just to do things that I ask you to do. Because I try to do as much as I can for my kids. They have a great life. Just so when I, when I lose it, I lose it. I lose my temper and I shout and, and sometimes I get up and I'm not in a great mood. And so I always go back and apologize. I always say, sorry, I wasn't, I don't mean to shout, but can you please just do what I ask you to do? It's, it's quite simple. You know Are what I mean? Are you doing the homeschooling? Are you having a laugh? <laughs> I suddenly pictured you trying to do trigonometry or something and getting really angry. <laughs> I didn't, listen, I didn't, I, I only took three exams at school and they were maths, English and science because I got through out of all the others. And that's not a, a joke. They threw me out of every class. They even said, you've got to come to school by law. So we're going to give you some headphones. Just listen to music at the back of the class, but don't disrupt anybody. So that's what I did. I thought it was great, but looking back, it was terrible teaching, really. Yeah. Um. So I even failed drama. Figure that out. And in terms of, you said earlier, you try and keep them off devices as much as you can. That is the big difference between all of our childhoods, really, isn't it? And, and kids growing up today. How much do you get them out on bikes? Do you, you know, trampoline, whatever it takes so that they're not sat there gaming for 17 hours a day? 
so hard. Um, holidays different because holidays I'm I'm out. Get out. We're going to see the place. We're not coming to sit by a pool all day. We're going out and we're going to experience things. We're going to go on horse rides. We're gonna... So it's easier on holiday. But when you're at home, especially in lockdown, it's so difficult because it's what what else can you do? And, and not only that, their friends are all online. So it's like I can't stop them from seeing their friends. And if they can't go and physically see them, well, they can't come here. What I can't say, well, you can't go online because that's the only kind of social interaction they're getting, and it's it's important. Um, I go for walks every day, without fail. I go up and walk and see nature, and you know, I live in a, in a place where I walk for a couple of minutes and I'm by horses and stuff like that, and it's nice. That's what I like. I've got my village and an army butcher, quite happy with that, and 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 my kids. I say to them, right, we're going out for a walk. We'll go for a walk and. A walk to a kid, I remember it as a kid. Imagine what you were saying to you as a kid, going for a walk, you could be. It's like, what's, where are we going? Nowhere, we're just walking. Yes. No, no, thank you, is the answer. No, why would I want to go there? The only way I can get my daughter out is if we end up in the shop where she can buy more slime that ends up on my carpet. So that's no good for me. <laughs> And yeah, you mentioned then about holidays. I was quite interested that you said you do doing holidays rather than just chilling out holidays. That I didn't expect that from you. Well, no. I, yes, listen. With I don't go. I don't go and go mad. I'm not setting an alarm or anything like that. Right up at seven. Run horses by eight. I'm not like that. <laughs> um, I, I'm. I'm. I, listen. I'm like enjoy your holiday, but we're going to see the place. I'm not. Um, I like to. Just because the whole point, the most important thing to me is there's going to be a point, and this is what I said about my dad. I know there's going to be a point where my kids aren't here anymore, and I just can't think of it because they're my world. So, any kind of family time, you know, anything, even if we're watching a film, let's do it together. Let's be in it together because the amount of times I sit and everyone's in different rooms doing different things, and we, we can do that anytime, you know, it's. It's important that you spend time together and listen to each other and talk to each other. We play we play a lot of board games at the moment and we're doing different kinds of board games and silly things. And, um, and, and on holidays, the same, you know, we have film nights and we'll go out for dinner. And as I say, holidays are a bit easier because everything's interesting. But on this lockdown, I'm trying to... We even got a takeaway the other night and I turned the dining room into an Indian restaurant <laughs> <laughs> with music and everything, music, candles. Um, and we all had to get dressed for dinner. So everyone went and got upstairs, got dressed, and I brought the takeaway in and put it all out on the table as if we went out to a restaurant and we lit it all nice and we sat and we ate together, no mobile phone. And when we finished, you know, like when you eat at home, you're all eating and everyone just disperses. We all sat and we talked and we played word games and we sat there for an hour and it was lovely. And I think anybody out there who's thinking of, you know, what to do or anything, try it, a little takeaway, a little Chinese night or an Indian night or whatever. Even when we have Italian food, I stick the old Italian music on. Just to turn the TVs off, everything off. Let's just be in a rest. Go go out in if you can. It's good. Did you do hot Try. flannels? I didn't go that far. Don't mention hot flannels to them. They'll get me doing it next time. <laughs> I'm hot flannels. Hey, do you know what? Next time I'm doing that. A couple of hot flannels in the microwave. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you'll see me. You'll see me in the paper. Will Miller scalds child's face. <laughs> <laughs> So in terms of your childhood versus their childhood, I presume they don't want for much. How do you battle that? Because we have that, you know, that if you can provide, it's it's making them respect and understand uh, yeah. the worth of stuff, isn't it? How do you work around that in your head? I go on about it all the time. Um, too far sometimes. I mean, it, but I can't help it because I can't show them. I can't show them. You can't teach somebody. 
your childhood or to live in a certain way where you don't have much you can't you can't bring back you can't take them to your time period it, i have to sort of remember that this is now you know what i mean and if i was a kid now i'd want to be on my phone course so what i want to be playing on my playstation i want to be online on my vr vr set that was on bleeding tomorrow's world when i was a kid and it's in my house i don't it just baffles me head but it's um it's it's the, i have to just i have to tell them I have to tell them what things cost. I have to say, listen, you know, wasting stuff, don't waste things. And I'm trying to, I'm trying to get my son to go and get some sort of, you know, like part-time job so we can learn the value of money. Cause I'm, I'm starting to say, listen, I'm not going to be buying you your clothes from now on. You know, you're going to start buying them yourself. Whether I actually mean it, I don't know because I probably would buy them for him, but it's just, I've got to say it. You know what I mean? I'm, I, I'm very hard because my wife's a lot tougher than me. She is the disciplinarian, even though I'm the shouty loud one. I'm not. I'm. I'm crap at following stuff through. You know what I mean. My daughter and my son. So hard not to. So hard if they go. Can I have that? Uh, I need these new jeans, and they're only this much money. And it's hard for me to go. No, no. You, you go. Go and save some money up, and you can buy them in two months' time. You know what I mean. It's. It's hard, but I've got to start doing it. And I'm. And now he's sixteen. I've got to try and get him into the realms of how making money and the value of money and what things cost. Yeah, and the final thing I wanted to talk about, Michelle is stunningly beautiful. Uh, so your kids are absolutely gorgeous as well. Um, and they're mixed race. How much yeah. do, do you feel protective or, you know, how, how does that work for you in terms of you your kids? Um, education. I let, them, I let them see everything. I don't protect them from nothing because I think they need to know what's going on, what's real, um, uh, what can be out there? I, I am very protective of my son, um, where he goes. Um, it, it, I mean, at the moment, obviously, he doesn't go out much, but I, I, he, he meets his mates sometimes. You know, uh, my mates are meeting in the park. And I'm just like, Jaden, listen, all I'm saying to you is have your wits about you, protect yourself. Don't be, if you think you're with people that are doing something wrong or they're up to no good, don't be there, son. Because I'm telling you now, I'll be coming down on you as if it's you doing it, even if you're in the group and you get pulled by the police and someone's doing something and you're with them, I'm coming down on you for it. It's because I want to protect him. My dad did the same for me. And it's it's not just that. I don't trust young people out there nowadays carrying knives. And you hear about these stabbings. A kid just got stabbed in Reading when my wife went to school, same school when my wife went, 13 years old. Mm. 13 years old. And he was killed by another 13-year-old and a 14-year-old. It's just... It baffles me head to what's going on out there, and um, and we can't pretend it's not happening. Um, and my son, I'm not just saying this because he's mixed race, but it fits that demographic of target because I don't know why. But if you look at the the odds of being stopped or being, you know, the way he looks as well, he's an attractive boy, and I just don't trust other lads who are in gangs trying to show off in front of their girlfriends. And I just say, just don't be around them. So I'm trying my best. But at the same time, I've got to let him experience life. Um, it's, my daughter's only 12, so I'm not having to deal with them pressures just yet. Um, but as far as the Black Lives Matter movement and all that stuff, um, just the education um, um, all the way uh, about what it means and equality. And it's not just about black people. It's about equality for everybody and um, everyone being on an even playing field, no matter what creed, race or religion you are, that everyone should just be equal what's wrong with that um and and, I, and we just sort of talk openly about that and um without going too deep into the, the past of slavery and all that stuff they know it from school anyway but you know it's, you don't be don't be, don't be defined by your color be a good person just be a decent person there's nothing wrong with that 
I'm interested that you said um, that your daughter's only 12. You haven't got into that yet. I'm wondering when she does start getting into dating and <laughs> things like that, what kind of a dad are you going to be there? Come in, son, sit down. Where are you from? Are you going to be the grooming type? <laughs> I haven't got much worry because my son's quite protective of her. So it's, right. um, and my son's 16 and nearly 17 now. So he'll be vetting them as well. So I'll just send him out. <laughs> <laughs> go, go and have a look at him, JC, if he's all right. You know what I mean? But I can't be that person because I think if – I mean, I have to do the same for him as I did for her. I've done it all the way through the life. With their education, with everything, It's we, we, they're treated the same. They get the same things, and that's the way it is. Um, so if if I'm letting him do things at 12, uh, she remembers. And she'll say, well, well, when Jaden was 12, he was doing this. And I will, and then I, I have to, well, you know, it's you have to do that. So you've got to be – You've got to be strict with not being too strict because I think, especially with girls, if you go, you can't do this, you can't do that, they'll only end up doing it and not telling you about it. And I want to keep an open and honest relationship with my kids. And I said to my son and my daughter, you talk to me about anything you want or your mum. We're a tight family. Um, the worst thing you can do is lie to us because we'll never trust you. So the best thing we can do is yeah, I'll, I'll never come down on you as hard if you're open and honest with me. If you've done something wrong and you and you want to talk about it, talk to me. And, and then... But if I find out you've done, you haven't told me and you've lied to me, then it's a whole different scenario because I don't ever want to be that parent that I didn't even know he was doing that. I didn't know because I, I shout up. I got mad at parents. I blame parents. You know, you see these kids running around with knives and out until two o'clock in the morning. Oh, he, he was out. He got attacked at two o'clock. What's he doing out at two o'clock in the morning at 14 years old? You know, I'm blaming the parents. So I, I can't be a hypocrite. I have to be I have to be responsible. So if anything happens, blame me. So I've got to put it into him now. Got you. I got quite scared listening to you at the end then as well. I was like, right, okay, I'll do that. <laughs> no, but you know what I mean. You know what <laughs> no, I mean. I totally. Um, so uh, as we come to a conclusion then and looking back at your childhood with your really strict dad and, you know, growing up and having your bottlings holidays, you know, sharing a bedroom, not having much money, and then you look to your world now that's expansive and wonderful, but also a little bit of, as you say, worry for your children. I pose the question, would you rather have the childhood you had or the one you're giving your kids? Um, my childhood. Um, for me, I would, um, I just think um, it was a safer place. Um, and um, uh yeah, and and the appreciation of things. I mean, God, to to you, you didn't get gifts unless it was Christmas or your birthday. You know what I mean? Now, every week it's like if you go in shops, can I get a brain liquor? I mean, what's a brain liquor? <laughs> it's a brain liquor. <laughs> it's, a, it's a sweet that looks like a brain that you lick. I mean, it's like oh. no, you, yeah. Um, but it's these 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 things my daughter wants. But it's like. They, do you know what I'm saying? The appreciation, and and I think I appreciate things because of that, and I worry that my kids are going to because they've had they've had things, and it's probably my fault. I probably spoiled them too much, but how do you not? Like you were saying before, if you've worked hard and you've you've you, you you've got a bit of money and and you go on these holidays, or sometimes you get free holidays given to you, you know, to do a promotion or something. You can't say, well, I'm not taking the kids. You get and they get all the things you get. So you oh, you've been offered a free boat trip to see the whales. They get to go on it, whereas. I didn't even go abroad until I was 17. I didn't even leave on a, I didn't go on a plane until I was 17. So, you know, he, he was on a plane at two, you know, it's mm. they, these things, it's hard. So I, I worry that when they go out into the real world, they might be a bit like, well, this is hard. You know what I mean? 
Whereas I, I had it all to achieve. You know what I mean? There was, I, I can live with nothing easily. I'm not sure. I don't know whether my kids could. You know what I mean? I, I could live on a on the breadline, no problem, because I've done it. You know what I mean? I've seen it. I make things last. I can go out and go out and shake the trees. You know what I mean? And go out and grind a bit of money from somewhere. Go and sell this or whatever. I've got that in me. I'm not sure because of the product of their environment. My kids have got that get up and go in them. I hope they have. I pray they have, and they might they could prove me wrong. But I, I think I benefited from the fact that. I appreciated what I didn't have and I knew I was going to have to work to get it. And you've always got the DJing, Will. I've always got the DJing and selling gear out the back of my car like Della Boy. (laughs) 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 I hope it wasn't too long-winded, that answer, but it's hard to explain, but you know what I'm trying to say. Yeah, no, that's absolutely perfect. I get it. Um, Thank you so much. I really enjoyed that. And I found out stuff I did not know about you, having spent weeks sitting around on a night with you and stuff. So um, really honest. Thank you so much. I miss you, actually. I miss you. Yeah, yeah, you too, man. I mean, we 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 had some... You're one of them people that, you know, just easy to be around and fun. And I was so glad you was on that job with me because, you know, we had to deal with some things and some people on that job that weren't the best and people. And we sort of... Together, we stood strong, stood strong and yeah. we also thought we were going to die on that plane back from, <laughs> from Uruguay holding each other's hand praying do you remember I did yeah it was I've the most terrifying thing probably leaping the air quite so high <laughs> as that did I've never seen I've never seen air stewardesses scream and run scream, down the plane yes yeah I tell that story quite often and you know what else yesterday just to finish on this as well I was thinking about when I knew I was going to chat to you and I remember the first time we met and the person <laughs> that was meant to do the show I think was Jamelia it was and I, and I remember you absolutely gutted look like looking at me going oh it could have been Jamelia and it's this northern knobhead instead do you know, do you know what Best thing, the best thing that happened because of, could, the banter and everything, we were perfect for each other because yeah. it was just great. I mean, who else would I like to share a tent in minus 19 degrees with? <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember that? That's Romania. Romania. Trying to drive a tank. I had to get out for a pee in the middle of the night. Freezing. Not minus 19. Yeah. We said, we said uh, you got that fire in the tent there with a the chimney. It smokes out the full tent. So we said, we're not going to bother with the fire. We're just going to stay in bed. <laughs> oh, good times. It's out there on YouTube if you fancy checking it out, if you're wondering what we're talking about. In the meantime, yeah. thank you so much, Will Meller. Yeah, love to the family, Curse. Thanks a lot. Take care, sweetheart. You've been listening to 16 Summers with me, Kirsten O'Brien. If you're wondering why it's called that, it's because apparently, on average, that's how many summers we get to hang out with our kids before we're too uncool or they cost too much to take on holiday or something. Anyway, thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe in the usual way and we're always happy to hear your comments. Oh, and why not check out Will's podcast, Two Pints with Will and Ralph. (laughs) 